We've been in this series now since Easter. We talked about how Easter changes your future, your purpose, your family, and your relationships last week. Today we're going to talk about how Easter changes your finances, and then next week we'll finish with your perspective. Now, if you missed any of those, you can go to our website at FOGKCFOG, standing for Fellowship of Grace, FOGKC.com, and you can listen to them there. But today we're going to talk about how Easter changes your finances. Now, you may be wondering, how in the world... Does Easter change my finances? I mean, I came on Easter, and I worshiped, and we had a great worship time on Easter, and I, I got home, and nothing happened to my checkbook. Nothing happened to my bank account. How in the world does Easter really affect my finances? Well, here's what I would say. If we really believe the resurrection took place, if we really are convinced that it's not a fable made up by some men, but it's a historical fact based on evidence that exists, that Jesus truly rose from the dead and he is who he says he is and we have given our lives to him, folks, that should change our bank account and our checkbook and quite a bit, I would say. And so we're going to talk about really what that means, what that looks like. And anytime we talk about money, anytime we talk about any kind of financial things here, and by the way, if you're a guest, we don't do it every week, as some would say, but when we do, we always start right here and we realize that God owns everything. Now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you don't celebrate Easter, if it's, not, if it's just another day to you or a day to hang out with family and do Easter egg hunts, you might not realize this. But the reality is God owns everything. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.26. It says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And by the way, that's a quote from the Old Testament. What that means is uh, God owns the earth... And everything in it. That guitar over there, God owns it. These drums back here, God owns them. That television up there, God owns it. That seat you're sitting in, God owns it. The car you came to church in, God owns. And the place you'll go back to sleep tonight, God owns. It all belongs to him. You know, we really kind of deceive ourselves sometimes into believing that we are owners of things. We are not owners of anything. We are simply managers of God's stuff. By the way, I hope this doesn't come as too much of a devastation to you today, but everybody's net worth in this room is actually zero because you own nothing. I know for some of you, you're thinking, I'm back to zero? That's awesome. <laughs> No. What I mean is, we've, we've never owned anything. We don't own anything. It doesn't belong to us. God's given it to us to manage it and to take care of it. Now, there's a biblical principle that goes from the Old Testament throughout the New Testament, and that is that if we're faithful with a little, God will entrust more to us. Now, that's not, that shouldn't be news to us. Okay? All of us live by that principle. If you have children, you've raised them by that principle. No parent who, who loves their children, when they turn six years old, hand them a key to a car and say, hey, there you go, knock yourself out, have fun. We don't do that, do we? We teach them a little responsibility at once. And if they're responsible with this, we give them a little more. And if they're responsible with this, we give them a little more. And if they're responsible with this, we give them a little more. And that's the way it works their whole lives. And if they're not responsible with this, what do we do? Take a little back. That works uh, with our children. And, and if you think about it, 
You know, the first time that you gave the keys to a 16-year-old, or maybe you were one of those 16-year-olds, and you got the keys for the first time, and mom and dad said, hey, run to the store and get milk. It's only six blocks. What could happen, right? So they back out of the drive, and they think to themselves, I wonder what dad's car can really do. And they punch the gas, and they lay scratch down the street. Guess what happens when they come home with the milk? Thank you for the milk, hand me the keys. You just lost the keys for three months, right? Because we take responsibility away from them when they aren't responsible with it. Folks, the reason that works in real life is because that's a universal principle that God has put in motion. And God treats us the same exact way. If you are managing less and less and less, maybe you should ask the question, am I being faithful with what God has given to me to manage? Because the reality is, if we are faithful with what he gives us, he will give us more to manage. It doesn't mean you're going to become wealthy. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. God is not some giant gum machine that we just do the right thing and he you know, gives us a whole bunch of money. But that principle is the same uh, throughout the universe. If we are faithful with a little, God will give us much. But we must realize, folks, that we own nothing. In reality, we just don't own anything. It's all God's. If we don't start here, we kind of get messed up in our thinking. And especially if we believe the resurrection, if we celebrate Easter and we know what it means, the reality is we should come to the conclusion very quickly that God owns everything and he's just letting it, us use it for his honor and glory. Second, we become generous because... If you believe in Easter and the resurrection, it should change our finances and we should become generous people. And I'll give you some reasons here in a minute. That's why it says because. But the first reason is kind of because our heart gets changed. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he changes the way our heart works and the way our mind works. You see, if we've come to the place where we realize that we're a sinner, we realize that we can't do anything to erase our sin, and only by putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins by giving his body and his blood as a sacrifice can we be connected to God and be forgiven of our sins. When that takes place, the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to change us from the inside out. So we become generous people. If you're an incredibly stingy person, you might want to think about, uh, am I stifling God's spirit in me? Or do I simply not have God's spirit in me? Because you see, when we become Christians, we no longer live for ourselves. Uh, listen to last week's sermon if you've forgotten. But we do it with others in mind. We do it with others in mind. Let's look at three specific reasons, though, that we become generous. First, because God has given us his first and best. Now, another universal principle in the, on the planet, in the, in the universe, is this uh, sense of reciprocity. Now, reciprocity is just the uh, a sense that if you do something good for me, I feel obligated to do something good for you. kind of works that way. If you've ever gone to a, a, a birthday party that you thought was a card party, and you got there and it wasn't, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? And so uh, the re reality is God has given us his first and best. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God has given his first, his only son, and his best 
for us. If we know him, if we are connected to him through his son Jesus Christ and what happened on Easter, we should feel a sense of obligation to give God our first and our best too. When it comes to giving, listen folks, God is just the model. There's nobody better. There's nobody better. There's nobody that has given us so much. There's nobody that has given so great and there's nobody that has given to us at such a cost. He gave his first and best to us. We should give our first and best back to him. Now this is the difference between giving generously, proportionately, consistently, and sacrificially instead of giving leftovers to God. Now, my wife tells me I'm one of the few men that she knows that really loves leftovers. I love leftovers. But you know, I don't think God really loves our leftovers. Now, I'm not going to get into a long discussion about uh, whether a tithing is New Testament or Old Testament or just Old Testament. Or we can have that discussion some other time and debate it. But the reality is the Bible in the New Testament teaches very specifically that giving should be generous, it should be proportionate to our, our income, it should be consistent, and it should be sacrificial. And folks, if you really study that, that's always more than 10%. You see, when we give God our first and our best, it's not our leftovers. If you come to church on Sunday and you decide, well, I'll, I'll see what money's left in my pocket and I'll put it in the offering plate as it goes by, you're giving God your leftovers. That's not how he gave to you. What if God had have given us his leftovers? What if he would have kept all of his first and best stuff for himself and given us just leftovers? We might be in a world of hurt, but he didn't. And so, folks, we should really try to, to give God our first and our best by the way, you can be most generous when you plan on being generous. It's really hard to slip into generosity. It's really hard to just fall into generosity. The reality is we can become most generous when we plan to be generous, when we set aside our first and our best for God, and then we live on the rest. The second reason that we become generous is because our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, as for the rich, and by the way, everybody in this room is rich. By the world's standards, the poorest person in this room is incredibly wealthy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. You see, if we put our trust in our bank account, we're deceiving ourselves again. If I were to ask you the question, hey, uh, give me the plan, tell me how uh, you plan to pay your bills next month. And if you said, well, I get paid on the 1st and the 15th, and, and on the 1st, I always pay my, uh, my uh, uh, rent or my house payment and my utilities. On the 15th, we pay my car payment, my health insurance, this stuff. And Okay? You've kind of slipped into this thinking that somehow you're paying your bills. And the reality is, 
when somebody asks us, how are you going to pay your bills next month? We should say, well, I'm going to do what I do every month. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Now, if they say, well, more specifically, how exactly? Okay, we can have the conversation, all right? But theologically, we should be thinking to ourselves, we're trusting God. Our hope should always be in Christ because he is the provider. We lull ourselves into this false sense of self-security and we begin to trust ourselves without really even knowing about it. Folks, the reality is any one of your businesses could be burning down right now and you won't have a job tomorrow. Think about that. You want to put your faith and trust in a company, in a job? Folks, that's a slippery slope. Now, I've, I'm old. I've been through a lot of stuff. I've lost jobs for various reasons. The company's not doing well and have to lay a bunch of people off. What am I going to do? And in that moment when I have no income, no way to pay my bills, nothing, what am I going to do? Trust God. Now, that doesn't mean we act like goofballs, okay? Oh, I'm just going to sit on a hill and quit my job and sit on a hill and trust God. Okay, listen, you, you know better than that. God's given us a brain to use. We should get out there and use it uh, to, to provide for ourselves through him. But listen, every job opening that you've gotten, that job, God provided it. The brain that you use to get your job, God made it. The people that God put into position to think you were awesome enough to hire, God made them. I mean, if you think about it, folks, everything uh, comes back to the fact that God is providing for us. Doesn't mean we don't plan. Doesn't mean we don't save. Doesn't mean we don't be wise. But it does mean that we trust him instead of our checkbook, instead of our savings account. I mean, let's just be honest. We don't have any idea what's going to happen in the future, neither tomorrow or next year or 10 years from now. Now, 10 years from now, I'm, I'm due to start, you know, living off the rest of you. <laughs> start collecting Social Security and, and Medicare and a whole bunch of that other free stuff, if it's still there. But I'm not going to put my faith and trust in that, and by the way, if you if you fall into the place where you're putting your faith and trust in the government, we need to have a serious talk. Okay, you, you, I mean, come on. But see, folks, here's the bottom line: God loves us. He's already given us His first and His best. Why wouldn't He continue to take care of us? Can't we trust Him? Is He trustworthy? Of course He is. And so, it's important that we trust Him because our hope is in Christ. The last reason that we can become generous is because we can invest it's an investment in the future when we invest in the future the way i'm going to talk about here and we're generous people we really put our our money into eternity look at first timothy 6 17 through 19 now we already read 17 we're going to reread that and add 18 and 19 to it look what it says again as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, when you really look at that verse closely, it looks like a dichotomy there. I'm going to be generous and ready to give my stuff away so that I'm storing up treasure. Now, how can I be giving stuff away while I'm storing up treasure at the same time? Well, it's because it's not talking about this life. I can't give you $1,000 and share it with you and store it up for myself at the same time. What I can do is be incredibly generous and give to something that's going to be an investment in eternity, and I'll collect the dividends later. I'll collect the dividends later. Look what it says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A couple of things I want you to see here. You think putting money in your 401k or your 403b is somehow investing in your future and, and it is your future on this earth. But these verses are talking about the future, the big future, the eternal future. Now, how do we actually do that? Is there a H-E-A-V-E-N 403B that I can put my money into, and when I get to heaven, it's there? Well, sort of. You see, when you invest the dollars that God has entrusted you, and you invest that to, into missionaries, into ministries, that increase God's kingdom, you're investing in eternal things. You know, when you uh, uh, put money in the plate here at Fellowship of Grace, you're not just keeping the lights on here and buying these nice chairs and all of this. You're sponsoring 5,000 missionaries all across the world. They're only able to stay there because churches like us have, have together decided to support them. And if we stop supporting them, they would have to leave and come home. And there may not be a Christian witness where they are. And so it's important that we invest in things that will last forever. Now you may say, well, I'm not a very generous person at church because, um, uh, you know, they just spend money on buildings and stuff and lights. And Okay, the reality is somebody paid for that chair you're sitting in. And by the way, people come to this church, they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and looking around this room, there are several of you, in fact, who receive Christ right here. And you, you did that because somebody paid for that chair you were sitting in. Somebody paid for these walls and the, the electricity be, to be on. You see, when we pay for those things, when we invest in those things, folks, it does result in eternal stuff. So if you want to invest in things that are eternal, put your money into missionaries and ministries instead of savings accounts. The reality is we can be more generous and we can become really generous when we realize how Easter changes everything. The last thing I want you to see today is that uh, 
Easter changes everything in our finances to the place that we can actually find contentment. We can actually find contentment. Look at Hebrews 13.5. The Bible says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, some people uh, misquote the Bible and say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. Money has no morality. Okay, It's like a knife. If I lay a knife on a table, is it good or is it bad? Well, I can use it to fix a meal for someone and it's good, or I can use it to injure somebody. That's bad. The knife has no morality. It's only how it's used that takes on morality. And money's a lot the same way. It has no morality in and of itself. It's not evil, but we can use it for evil. We can misuse it for evil. So money is not evil, but here it says, keep yourself free from the love of money. Because in other passages, it says the love of money, the love of money, the lusting after money and wanting more is evil. But this verse says that we can find contentment. Just like we have to trust Christ instead of our money, we should be content with what he has given us. Now again, it doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean all those things. But when we say, man, I just, I just want better stuff. I, I, I deserve better stuff. I, I deserve more. And, and I hear in our culture sometimes that everybody deserves a home. Everybody deserves a car. Everybody deserves. Everybody deserves. I don't know that I find that in the scripture anywhere. see, we've got this kind of mentality in our culture that we're all entitled to stuff and better stuff. You know, nobody takes a second job. Well, I won't say nobody. I've never heard of anybody taking a second job because they want to be more generous. You know, I, I just, we just don't have enough left over at the end of the month to, to give to people we know in need. So I'm going to take on a second job so that we can be more generous to people. Generally speaking, people take second jobs and third jobs because they've either bought too nice of stuff that they can't afford it or they want more stuff. And so we sacrifice time with our families. We sacrifice uh, relationships all for the craving of more stuff. Stuff that's not going to last. Stuff that doesn't matter. Folks, I want to encourage you if that's why you took a second job so you can get a bigger boat or a nicer house, just go quit today. Just go quit today. Stop striving for all that stuff. Now, I know that some of you are in situations where I had this job, I lost that job, and I've had to take a job that doesn't pay as much, and so I've had to take a second job in order to keep my, my payments on things done that I've committed to. I get that. I understand those things happen. But I'm talking about just the craving for more and bigger stuff. Now, now again, let's not swing the pendulum to the goofy side. All right? Uh, those of you who know me uh, know that I uh, drive a, a, a van in another century. And it's been hit a few times by deer. And it's got 230-some-odd thousand miles on it. I'm going to upgrade sometime soon. Not because I just want stuff, but because, frankly, it's on its last leg and it's going to die with or without me anyway. 
right? Okay, so it's not a matter of, hey, I'm going to get a nicer car. There's nothing wrong with that, folks. I don't want you to get goofy about this. But it's the craving, it's the desire, it's the, the wanting more stuff, the lack of contentment. Because really, folks, when we're in that spot, really what we're saying, we don't know we're saying it, we don't mean to be saying it, but really, in actuality, what we're saying is, God, you should treat me better. I should have better stuff. That's really what's happening. I think we should be cautious about that, real cautious. We need to find contentment with where God has put us and manage what we... Listen, you would be way better, way better to manage what you have better than to try to just get more stuff. Because guess what? When you're a bad manager of stuff and you get more stuff, you're just a bigger, better, badder manager. (laughs) You just manage more stuff bad. You don't manage better because you've got more stuff. And so I think it would be really better for us to learn to manage what we have to please God and to bring honor and glory to him, to please him with what we do, to be generous, to find contentment, to help others, to support things that are eternal in value and have that overarching understanding that God owns everything anyway. It's not mine to do with what I please. It's mine to manage as he says. Folks, the reality is, if we really truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we really have put our faith and trust in him and what he did on the cross to save us, if we really believe Easter is real and the resurrection took place, it will change the way that we handle our finances. It will change our financial life. Not because we're trying to do it, it just inherently changes it because he's changed us. So pray today. Ask God to help you become a better manager. I'm going to. Ask him to trust you with more because you are desperately trying to be faithful with what he's already entrusted you with. And if you feel like you haven't been faithful, you know, do that better. And by the way, we're here to help you. Uh, We have a a thing called Financial Peace University that we run uh, usually three different times a year. We help people to budget money. We have uh, a couple in our church who work with some other people to provide financial counseling to you. If you're like, Michael, I want to be a a better manager of God's stuff. I just don't know how. I'm just struggling to do it. Come and talk to one of the pastors. We'll hook you up with these folks, and they'll they'll sit down with you. They'll look at your, your stuff, and they'll say, hey, here's a better way to manage that, and you'll be able to do that. We want to help you. We want to help you experience God's blessing in your life by being faithful with what he's given you. Folks, the reality is Easter changes everything, absolutely everything, including our finances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and for your spirit that guide and lead and teach us. Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to grow in being a better manager. Help us to manage what you've given us. Help us to remember that we own nothing. We came into this world with nothing. We will leave this world with nothing except a relationship with you if we put our faith and trust in you. And so, Father, help us to manage what you've given us in the meantime as best we possibly can, to invest it in things of eternal value, 
so that when we get to heaven, we will have uh, those dividends waiting for us. Father, we love you, and we thank you for not leaving us here to just fend for ourselves and figure out what to do. But you love us enough to care for us and to provide for us, to lead us and teach us. Help us follow you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray.